You are listening to Graceway's weekly message podcast. We hope that this message encourages you to know and enjoy God, find friends, discover your purpose, and make a difference in your community. Enjoy the message. Hey, Graceway, Pastor Tim here, wanting to wish you and those you are celebrating this holiday with a Merry Christmas. I hope it's been a fantastic morning. I hope that you're enjoying yourself, having a great cup of hot chocolate. You're in your PJs, you open your gifts, you you got what you wanted. And, uh, and I appreciate you just spending some time with us to open up God's Word. I am actually sitting at what I think is the most quintessential Christmas uh, context and environment in this great city of Kansas City. I'm at Union Station right now. You can probably see it over my shoulder. It's absolutely beautiful, historic, traditional, all the things that you think about when you think about Christmas. And you know, it's interesting. We all have something that we think about when we think about Christmas. We all have some version in our mind, especially in the United States, you go to other places and they celebrate it differently. But we have kind of taken the idea of Christmas and we have, we've run with it, right? It's, it is its own economy, it's its own ecosystem. And whenever I say it looks like, smells like, feels like Christmas, something pops into your head. And it's interesting, uh, the author, pastor Tim Keller says that This is the only holiday that we have that actually two holidays are celebrated. There's the irreligious side of Christmas and there's the religious side of Christmas. And we're both celebrating the same thing. We're both having the same experience, but for very different reasons. The irreligious say, hey, this is a time for family. It's a time for gifts. It's a time to put a bunch of lights on your house. The more obnoxious, the better, right? We drive by people's house and ooh and ah, look at all their lights. It's a time for compassion. It's a time for kindness. It's a time for generosity, right? And Christians, we don't, we don't reject these ideas. We, we say yes and amen. I want all of it. We just say it's not less than that, but it's, it's gotta be more than that, right? And so we come to this time and we celebrate all of the things that everybody celebrates, but more than that, we celebrate the coming, the fruition, the certainty that Jesus, our Savior, came to this earth and we celebrate it on this day. Whether or not he came on this specific day, no, he, he came and we're celebrating it. And we need to keep a certain emphasis as people of faith. Now, do understand, I'm not saying we need to keep a certain emphasis about the holiday. I'm not interested in preserving the holiday. I'm not one of these, you know, keep this or that in Christmas kind of thing. I'm saying this is an opportunity for us to kind of remember and celebrate and consider and just slow down enough to be reminded of some of these really foundational things that make us Christians. And the things that make us Christians are our are, are beliefs. And like lots of tra- traditions, we, we do something funny with our beliefs. We sing them. We like to sing our beliefs. And actually most of the famous carols that we sing are, are the, the word carol means a joyful song. They're joyful songs and in them, uh, are all of these doctrines and these old words uh, that, that are kind of reinforcing and reinvigorating some, some of our beliefs. So uh, if you can picture, picture me at eight, nine years old, 
uh, still shaving my head, right? Still with the stash the same, just a miniature, a miniature version. Actually, no, with hair, okay? And my parents are taking me to uh, nursing homes to go Christmas caroling, to go Christmas joyful singing. And, and my favorite song at the time was Hark the Herald Angels Sing, right? Uh, I remember walking by nursing home rooms and singing into those rooms. Let me just read you some of the, some of the, the verse from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Can you picture little Timmy Dunn with a shock of strawberry blonde hair, no stash, singing, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hark the incarnate deity. What, what, what was I singing? If I could go back now and say to myself, hey buddy, here, here's what you're saying. I would have been talking about an invisible God becoming visible, the incorporeal becoming corporal. In, in other words, God becoming a human being. This is so central to our Christian faith. It's so foundational. And we sing these songs, we don't actually know what we're singing. We're singing what's called the doctrine of the incarnation. And what I wanna do just over the next couple of minutes is I just wanna teach you the doctrine of the incarnation. I wanna teach you why it's important. I wanna teach you why Christmas is important, why it matters to the Christian faith. Sometimes I think we talk all around this and we don't just say, why is this a big deal? Why, why should I care about this? I care about the presence. I care about the eggnog. Come on, somebody, right? But why should I care about Jesus in the middle of Christian? Why all these people are saying, keep Christ in Christmas. What? What, what am I keeping in Christmas? So uh, the doctrines that we sing, they really distinguish us. Uh, and this Christian doctrine of the incarnation, is it's really unique. On one hand, you've got religions that say that God is so imminent, so transcend it, right? That the incarnation is actually normal. So if you're a Buddhist or a Hindu, you say, God's so big, God's in everything. God's in me, God's in you, God's in that desk, God's in the sunset, God's everywhere. The incarnation happens all the time and every day. Other religions like Islam or Judaism say that God is so big, so transcendent, God would never degrade himself and become like me, right? Would never take on flesh, would never you know, move into the neighborhood, would never buy a Chiefs jersey and, and go to the game. He'd never do that, he's God. So Christianity says the incarnation isn't normal, but it also isn't impossible. It's unique, and that's the reason that we celebrate it. It says that God is so imminent that he gets to do whatever he wants, right? That God, God can choose to put on flesh that he created. God can choose to move in the neighborhood and God can choose as he rightly would to root for the chiefs on Sunday morning, right? All good Christians know this simple fact on Christmas day. Jesus moving into our neighborhood and incarnating himself is history altering, life transforming and paradigm shattering when you understand what it was. We believe as Christians, that Jesus really lived. And it's not a storybook thing, it's not a fairy tale, it's not a Disney movie, he really lived, he really had a human experience, he really died, and he really rose again. These aren't simply stories, they are historically true, and it started at his historic birth, at the incarnation. First John chapter one, verses one and two, this is Jesus' best friend. The guy that we know is the Apostle John wrote multiple books, five of them in the New Testament. He says this, that which was from the beginning, Jesus was 
in the beginning God, Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, this life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. We got to see God. We got to experience God. We got to have a relationship with God. We got to say, that's what God is like. That's how God acts. That's how God responds. That's God's mood. That's God's temperament. That's God's habits. We got to have that type of experience with God in the incarnation. Now, uh, I hear you pushing back. I do. I, I hear you saying, hey, look, it's, it's fine to celebrate. It just ain't that deep, bro. It, it's not it's not that deep. You're trying to turn this into something that it isn't. Keep your doctrine to yourself. Keep your weird songs to yourself. It's cool that you went to the nursing home and did nice things, but you were singing a song that's not connected to any deeper reality. What matters, Tim, is on the Christmas season that you connect with family and try your best to be a good person. That's what Christmas is really about. And here's what I need to say to you. Ironically, that statement is a doctrine. <laughs> that statement that you just said, telling me to relax and, and calm down and keep my religion to myself, that is actually a doctrinal statement. It's called the doctrine of justification by works. Just be a good person, man. Just do your best. Just be nice to people. And in the end, it all sorts itself out. What you're saying, we should do nice things. We should live a good life. And then God owes us a blessing. Just do your best, man. Stop making this so religious and so dogmatic. But the gospel, in fact, is that Jesus came to earth, lived the life, not that we should emulate, but that we should be able to live. He lived the life that, that is exemplary, and he died the death that we deserve to die. And when we believe in him, we have this opportunity to have joy, not around what we did, but around what, what he did. Now listen, if Jesus didn't come, the story of Christmas is very simply one of a moral paradigm, right? This good guy came, he did some good things. We look back and we say, good job, Jesus. And if we're gonna do our best, we should just try to be like him, right? If Jesus didn't come, I wouldn't want uh, there to be anything around these Christmas stories that we should be sacrificing or that we should be uh, generous or that we should be benevolent or that we should be compassion. It doesn't make any sense, right? If Jesus didn't come and set a new standard for us, why really are we trying to be good and trying to be nice and trying to be friendly and trying to be forgiving? If Jesus, just a guy, did a good thing and we should look at him and do what he did, he, here's what I am saying to you. Let's just break out the eggnog now, heavy on the rum. Are you with me? Like, if, if this is all up to me, and if Christmas time is just a reminder that I need to be good, that I need to be nice, and that I need to be forgiving, and that I need to try harder, and I need to give more, and I need to, listen, I'm tired already, because I've, I have watched this movie in my own life, and so have you. I try to be good. I can't regularly be good. I try to want good things. I struggle to regularly want good things. I, I say this to you if you're at Graceway all the time. I, I challenge you, I'll bet you a hundred bucks, you can't even get to the end of this day and not say something you shouldn't have said, think something you shouldn't have thought, believe something you shouldn't have believed, done something you shouldn't have done. And so when we look at Jesus, we're not looking at a moral example, we're looking at a substitute. We're looking at somebody who comes into our story and does for us 
what we can't do for ourselves. Here's what I, here's what I want you to do in the next couple of minutes. I just want you to humor me, okay? Maybe you're like, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe bald guy. Uh, just, just humor me for a minute. If Jesus is actually God come in the flesh, if he is, um, then you're going to know a whole lot more about God as you, as you have an experience with Jesus, as you observe Jesus, as you read about Jesus. You're going to see him weep. You're going to see him get upset. You're going to see him discouraged. You're going to see him happy. You're going to see him creating memories. You're going to see him doing things that you otherwise wouldn't expect God to do. If Jesus is who he says that he is, you really, in the Gospels, have a couple hundred page autobiography of who God is. And, and what I want for you on this Christmas day is I want you to see God for who he actually is. And, and I want you to have a very personal perspective of who he is and what he does and what the incarnation means. So the first thing that I want you to understand that the incarnation teaches us is, is that there's beauty in our human experience. There's beauty in our human experience. Now, a lot of philosophies and religions see the material world. Uh, if you come from Eastern religions, you say all of this is, is our imagination. I was actually in the gas station yesterday and, and the guy in front of me was buying something. The lady, the lady asked him if he wanted change and he goes, it doesn't matter, baby. This is all a figment of our imagination. It's like, just say yes or no, right? But like this, some of us just think this is the matrix. This is just, this isn't real. This is our imagination. This is kind of our, our sub, subconscious. And others of us, like the Greeks, uh, think that the material world is polluted and it's broken and it's, it's evil. And, uh, and that's a doctrine that's known as Gnosticism, right? That really the only thing that matters is the soul and the spirit and we should invest in that. Or you say, this is all chance. This is, this is, this is random and it's doomed to just go away when you die. There's nothing just like a modern secularist. And, and, and I'm going to be honest with you. I think a lot of Christians, we don't even realize that we've been affected by these things because a lot of Christians were walking around and we're always hoping that God gets us out of here, right? <laughs> like heaven is, is anywhere but here, right? It's anywhere but this experience. It's anywhere but what I've gone through. Heaven is gold and clouds and harps and chubby Hallmark babies, right? Like, no, that's not how the Bible talks about it. Heaven is here. Heaven is, is redeemed. Heaven is renewed. Heaven isn't this escapist place that we go to. And I'm afraid that we miss one of the things that's the most obvious about the incarnation. And that's that Jesus was interested in having a human experience. Dorothy Sayers, one of my favorite authors says that the incarnation means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall into the condition of being limited, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death. Maybe you're saying to yourself, I don't understand why God lets certain things happen. Why does God let good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? And by that, I mean, why does God let bad things happen to me? I'm trying to be a good person. And Dorothy Sayers says, he has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. That he doesn't just do it to us, he comes into it. He himself has gone through the whole of the human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and the lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He chose to be born into poverty and he suffered infinite pain all for us and thought it worth 
his while. Well worth his while. This is a fascinating change of what I think is our perspective on the human experience. We're just praying, God, get me out of here. God, just make it better. God, make it easier. God, make it more comfortable. And God says, actually, I came into that to experience it with you. I've been where you've been. I've been tempted how you've been tempted. I've had the days you've had. And not a lot of us running around knowing that our human experience would end with humiliating, crushing crucifixion on a cross. You know, I think during the Christmas holiday, you kind of have this heightened human experience, uh, the good and the bad. The, 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 the Christmas spotlight puts, uh, puts into focus kind of the, the best of us, human compassion, um, human kindness. People are doing their best to just keep it chill during the holidays and puts a spotlight on our brokenness, right? Because even though we're trying our best, we still are struggling. There's still wars, there's still poverty, there's still injustice at the macro and at the micro. In the corporate sense and in the individual sense, the holidays showcase the very best of us and the very worst of us, our divisions and our wounds. And the thing that's interesting is that the Bible never gives us a reason as to why God lets this happen. So many times when I'm talking to people, I've been a pastor for a long time now, and I'm talking about why did God let this happen? Why is God allowing us to go through this? And, and, and I know this feels like bad news. God never tells us why. Rather, God comes into our experiences and brings promises of his presence in our experience. He doesn't say you don't have the experience. He says you don't go through the experience alone. You don't get to avoid the experience. I went through the experience. I know what it feels like, and I know how to help you in this. One author says, only Christianity has a God who has courage under his characteristics. The courage to come and experience hunger, danger, injustice, rejection, torture, suffering, and death. The courage to know if I move into this neighborhood, this is what's going to happen. The courage to not move in to the very best neighborhood, to move into an anonymous, impoverished place. Jesus chose to come marginalized. Jesus chose knowing that he was not going to have a silver spoon, not going to have the very best of things, but he saw something in the human experience that he was not only willing, but I think that he wanted to have. He saw beauty in the human experience. God descended into this world and think about this sentence, God descends into this world, he becomes vulnerable. Only the Christian God chooses to become vulnerable. You know, the thing that I'm trying to avoid with every fiber of my being. I don't wanna be vulnerable. I don't wanna be in a compromised place. I don't want injustice. I don't want inequality. God chooses it. God allows himself to come into it, to be vulnerable, to suffer, and to die. He is God with us. Matthew 1 and verse 23, Emmanuel, God with us. He gives us his personal presence in our suffering. The incarnation says to those who the holidays aren't so happy for. The incarnation says to those of us who are struggling coming out of COVID, those of us who feel like we can't catch a break, those of us who are tired of bad news, those of us who are depressed, those of us who think I'd rather be anywhere but here. The incarnation says you aren't alone. 
The incarnation says Jesus went before you. The incarnation says Jesus isn't just empathetic from a cognitive standpoint, that Jesus chose to be in your shoes, chose to have your experience, chose to suffer, chose to put himself in a compromised position. Why? Because he wanted to experience the thing that he loves the most, you. So not only does the incarnation teach us about beauty in our human experience, it teaches us about blessing in our human relationships. So first thing that I want you to notice here is that in Jesus's experience, it was people over possessions. Uh, Jesus, you know, Jesus could have come with the fat, uh, you know, IRA, 401k. Jesus could have come living in the best neighborhood. Like it wasn't a lack of assets that put him in the position to come and live the life that he lived. And so Christians, listen, we shouldn't be too impressed with the glitz, with the physical beauty, with the status, with the power, with the affluence. We shouldn't be so easily tempted if we really believe the incarnation. The incarnation means that God was willing to empty himself of his glory and his power and live humbly as a servant. Now, this isn't a call for you to choose necessarily to be impoverished and poor and marginalized. It's not what I mean. I just mean some of the idols that we're walking around with are really, are really attacked by the incarnation. This means that among other things, God chose to become ordinary. And this is the thing that, that we're afraid of as Americans. I don't, I don't want to be anonymous and ordinary. I want to be, I want to have a platform. I want to, I want to be famous. I want to be significant. I want to leave a mark, right? We have all of this language. Well, Jesus, Jesus didn't come with that ambition. Jesus put people over possessions and platforms and power. And as Christians, we, we ought to consider that. And, and secondly, and this is just really obvious, right? Jesus was born into a family. So <laughs> think about this. Some of you are like, my least favorite people in the world are the people that I'm related to, right? If I was God and I could do this over again, I would figure out a way to have the human experience without family. Jesus chose it and remember, he came into a kind of a dysfunctional family. Like remember how Joseph was thinking about divorce and Mary before they even were able to, to get married, so to speak. Remember that Mary would have had a pretty rough reputation walking around saying that she had been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Like Jesus didn't come into the very best scenario. Jesus had parents, he had siblings who weren't so kind to him. He had neighbors, he had teachers. The pastors in his area thought that he was crazy and a blasphemer, and yet he chose it. He chose for 30 some odd years to develop, to be shaped by, to experience people. It's interesting to me that so much of Jesus's human experience we know nothing about. Like we know he was born, we know he popped back up at the temple around 12 years of age, and then he shows up around 30 probably and we're like, what happened in between? Jesus was having a human experience and, and having relationships. And, and, and it is interesting to me that Jesus both saw them as value, valuable and saw them as none of our business. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus loved people. And, and, and Jesus, if you think about it, chose the whole gamut of the relationship paradigm. He, he didn't really have to have to be rejected by God's covenant people. Didn't really have to let Judas be that close. Didn't really have to let Peter over and over and over again be obnoxious. He didn't 
really have to do some of the things that, listen, would have been from a human standpoint incredibly difficult for him or for us to go through. He didn't have to be that publicly rejected and betrayed in order to die for the sins of the world. He could have just come in and just set the thing up so they just did the cross and went back to heaven. But he, he, he lived a whole life and he did it with people, people that didn't have his best interests and people who didn't love him back and people who weren't kind and people who accused and betrayed and hurt him. And it's crazy to me that even on the cross, even on the cross, what is Jesus focused on? Jesus is focused on the people around him. He forgives his enemies. He redeems a felon. He feels the separation from the father and he makes sure that his mom is good when he's gone. Now listen, I'm just gonna tell you, this is one of an innumerable amount of ways that I am nothing like Jesus. Because if I am on the cross, I ain't thinking about any of y'all. I, I ain't worried about anybody else. I don't care. I am thinking about me. Jesus is thinking about others. And I just think to myself, what, what did Jesus do that I don't? What, what did Jesus do that I don't? What I'm about to say, it's so simple that you're gonna, you're gonna be tempted to kind of, yeah, 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 wh whatever, but just, just hear me out. Uh, Jesus appeared to be capable of focusing on the good in his human relationships. Now this is so hard. We focus on the bad, don't we? We focus on the annoying, we focus on the thing that you did to me, the thing that you said, the thing that you didn't do, and those are the things that really shape our relationships. I mean, some of us, we have people we're never gonna talk to again for something they did 30 years ago. And, and, and here's the thing, all of us are that to somebody. All of us have done something to somebody. All of us are annoying to somebody. And if you're sitting there saying, not me, this is my Christmas gift to you. It's called self-awareness. You more than anybody annoy us because you don't even know <laughs> that you annoy us, right? Everybody is, has created harm for somebody else. Everybody has damaged somebody else. And Jesus allowed himself to be damaged, but didn't throw out the human experience and the human relationships just because somebody had done him wrong. Instead, he appeared capable of focusing on the good. You say, how do I do that? Here, here's how it is. You focus on the good by investing in forgiveness. Um, you're not gonna be able to offer forgiveness if you're focused on the bad. You're not. You're not gonna want to. You're gonna be demanding justice. You're gonna be talking about boundaries. You're gonna be saying what they did to me, you know, they don't deserve X, Y, Z. Uh, in order for you to focus on the good, you have to invest in forgiveness, right? And so Philippians 4 says, hey brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And you're gonna to struggle to do, you're gonna to struggle to forgive people if you reject Philippians 4. And you're gonna have a terrible time doing Ephesians 4. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Jesus was able to focus on the good, to choose relationship because he invested in forgiveness. On the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And for you to look around the room right now, for you to take inventory of your relationships right now and say, there is definitely people that I have harmed, that I have hurt, and there are people that have hurt me, and I wanna be free and I, to focus on the good. And in order to do that on this Christmas morning, I need to forgive some people. 
The incarnation means Jesus chose relationships and he forgave people and it allowed him to have a human experience that maybe maybe we're not having right now. You know, the incarnation, it isn't only about the promise of his birth. The incarnation isn't, oh, it's cool, Jesus was, 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 was born. It's about all the things that come from. It, it means that in your human experience, pain isn't purposeless, that it doesn't have the final word, right? Jesus allowed himself to have an ex human experience and have the final, have the final to, to go through difficult things. But, but listen, we don't look back at Jesus's life and say, oh, it was so rough. We look back at Jesus's life and say, oh, it's so beautiful. Why? Because, because pain has purpose in our lives. The world is destined for joy sooner or later. The world is destined for joy sooner or later. And so are all those who love and long for Jesus's appearing. We look back at Jesus coming the first time in anticipation of him coming the second time. We say the in-between that we're going through in our relationships and our human experience, yeah, they're painful, but, but they're not purposeless. And I'm gonna focus on the good and I'm gonna be a person of forgiveness. Why? Because I believe in the incarnation. Christmas is an invitation to know God personally, not some God up there somewhere. Uh, God personally, the God who comes here. Christmas is an invitation to hear God say these words, look what I've done to come near to you. Look what I've done to, to have you know that I know you, that I care about you. Look, look what I've done in, in trying to come near to you. Will, you. will you come near to me? I don't wanna be a concept to you. I wanna be your friend. I wanna be your friend. God, God wants to be your friend on this Christmas morning. And my hope for you is that, is that you'll let him be. And that on this Christmas morning, the gift of grace that you've received from God, you'll reciprocate with your love for God, with your friendship for God. And I promise that if you open that gift, it'll change your life. Hey, I love you. I'm grateful for you. I hope you have a fantastic Christmas and New Year's. I'm praying for you and in God's grace, I'll see you soon.